Hey there, this is Pastor Corey, and welcome to the Branch Life Podcast. After you're done listening, I invite you to connect with us at branchlife.church to make sure you're up to date with everything going on at Branch Life. Want to share what you heard today? Subscribe to our YouTube channel and share this video with someone you want to encourage. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope that this presentation helps you connect with Christ and challenges you to reach those around you with the good news of Jesus. It's that time again. Time to evaluate and time to look ahead. All around are voices calling us to do something. Voices on TV urging us to act now. Voices on social media calling us to a manufactured ideal. Voices in our heads telling us this is going to be our time, all the while recalling our past failures. We desire a higher plane. We desire a bigger influence. We desire health, security, and rest. We want to be better. We want to be fit. Where do we start? How do we change? Is it even okay that we have these longings? God wants us to develop what He has given us. He wants us to progress spiritually. He wants us to manage our finances well. He wants us to honor Him with our bodies. God wants us to be fit. Hey, well, welcome to Branch Life Church. Who's ready to get fit in 2020? It is uh, January 11th. So you've had, is it 11th? 12th. (laughs) It's been that week for me. It's January 12th, and uh, you've got 12 days into your New Year's resolutions. How are they going? Right? Doing all right? How are they going? (laughs) So typically about two weeks into it, right, we start losing a little bit of steam. But here's what we're trying to do with our FIT series. We're trying to encourage you, and we want to do this together. We want to be healthier together. Branch Life Church, we are all about strengthening your connection to Christ so that we can go and reach our world. So let's be stronger together. We are better together. So together, with God, with one another, we're looking at how to be FIT in our mind, our body, and our spirit. And so last week we talked about spiritual fitness, and man, if you didn't get a chance to listen to that, jump onto the YouTube channel and check it out, and you can watch the exercises for spiritual fitness. Tonight, we want to talk about our mind. There's a lot of sayings about our mind out there. A mind is a terrible thing to waste. Your mind is some of your most valuable and precious real estate. Why do you constantly give it away? Oh, our beautiful minds. The mind is key to your overall health. That's one of the reasons that the word mind comes up over and over and over again in Scripture. Talk to us about Christ. Talk to us through the Old and through the New Testament. So let's start tonight and just focus on the health of our minds. What kind of grade would you give your mental health here and now in the start of 2020? Would you give yourself a good grade? I'm an A-plus mind person. Not smarts, just mental health. You're able to keep your thoughts in order. You can kind of direct where you're going next or or, or maybe you're a B, maybe you're C, I'm probably pretty average, or maybe D, I'm below average with my mental health, or maybe you're failing and just, whoo, your mind is everywhere. And maybe it depends on the day, right? Maybe today your mind is okay, but yesterday was a different story. There are a couple of things that happen to us if you're a regular person, and statistics show us that there are certain things that are mind stressors for all of us. They're kind of universally stressful. And then if you kind of narrow it down to Americans in Pennsylvania in 2020, the top two stressors that we are going to deal with are number one, kids. Well, number one, relationships and more specifically kids. 
So don't raise your hand, but how many of you have been stressed in a relationship recently? There's been a relationship that has caused some mental anguish and unhealth. Maybe it's the person sitting next to you. Maybe it is a kid, and you just, you know what the gray, every gray hair is because, right? Maybe it's a coworker or a teammate. Maybe it's a stranger that wasn't driving correctly on the way to church. So relationships can be stressors, but the other big one that we have in our culture today is George Washington, money. It's money, right? And we constantly find ourselves with some mental anguish over money, and it doesn't seem to matter how much of it you have or don't have. Money seems to be a universal stressor. There's actually some evidence out there that the less money you have, the less stressed you are about it. And every one of us that doesn't have a lot of money went, no way. Money can be a huge, huge stressor. Now, tonight we're not going to have a, a long conversation about finances, but one of your mental health goals it, to help yourself mentally means you should probably help yourself financially. And there are some simple things that you can do in your finances to make 2020 a healthier year for you financially. So in the area of finances in 2020, I want to point you to a couple of resources. Number one, we talked about money at length during our Proverbs series this past summer. Jump online, go to the Proverbs series, watch Wisdom for Money. We just go through all the verses in Proverbs that talk to us about how to deal with money. But if I can cue you on to one resource for 2020 that I think would be pretty beneficial for you, is I want to introduce you or remind you about a gentleman named Dave Ramsey. You can find him on a podcast or a YouTube channel near you. Just Google the guy. He has a daily radio station, a syndicated regular show, also housed on podcasts, any podcast platform, and on a YouTube channel. And subscribe to this guy. And start to digest the message that he is saying. He wants to encourage you to live like nobody else so you can live like nobody else. One of the greatest stressors in our culture and our day-to-day, Christian and non-Christian alike, is debt. We find ourselves spending and paying out more than we are bringing in. And once we find ourselves in debt, it becomes a, a downward spiral and it piles up and it snowballs onto us. And it causes all kinds of angst in every area of your life, mentally and relationally. So man, if I could get control of my finances in 2020, how would I do that? Get a hold of Dave Ramsey, start listening to his podcast, and then grab the book, Total Money Makeover, and digest it. And he teaches a method to snowball yourself out of debt and into building wealth. So that not only can you grow in your finances, but you can grow in your generosity. One of our core values at Branch Life Church is that we could be radically generous in every area, including finances. And as you look back, the principles that he teaches as a follower of Jesus Christ, he is just put in a way that everybody understands it. But please know that his principles are coming from, the, from God's word. And each day on his, on his nationally syndicated radio station, he shares a Bible verse and reminds us about the importance of it. Even better, if you can find a Financial Peace University small group, enter it this year. If you want to get control of your finances in 2020, jump into a Financial Peace University. Just Google it. They'll show you where they're happening all over the, the country. I'm sure there's some local ones happening now. And as a church, we want to offer this at some point during our calendar year in 2020 as one of our very first equipped classes. One of the things that Dave says that I think is super important, is a phrase that we introduced to you last week. We want to keep reminding ourselves of this tonight and for our series finale next week. Let me encourage you at this moment, please come next week and do everything in your power to encourage other people to come. It's one of those easy invite weeks. We're going we're gonna to tell the story about how your pastor lost 65 pounds in one year. And some people might be like, oh, I want to hear that. And I don't want to talk about myself. I know that's a shocker to you. But I think God can use that little hook to bring somebody in who's interested in being physically fit, but also then gets to hear about the gospel. And so we're going to talk about that next week. And so, so come and bring some friends. 
we're going to use this phrase one more time. You need to know your numbers. And numbers become extremely important in your physical fitness, in your mental fitness, in your emotional fitness, in your physical fitness, in your spiritual fitness. So do you know your financial numbers? That's the first thing Dave's going to ask if you called him up and said, help. He's going to start asking you your, your numbers. Now, we are working together to know our numbers. And what I want you to do is take your Bible, and I want you to turn to the book of the Bible called Numbers. Because not only is knowing your numbers important in all of these areas that we should care about it, but God cared about it. And one of the 66 books that we have in the Bible is actually called Numbers. And we started to introduce this last week and again jump on to see that entire conversation last week. But the book of Numbers is a pretty awesome book. And we did an overview last week. And just to remind you, just really quickly, we won't be able to go through it. Numbers starts with counting. The nation of Israel found themselves being freed from Egypt. And they were wandering in the wilderness. And the first thing that God did with this nation, about 2 million people, is he counted them. Split them up into their 12 groups. And he organized them. And he was going to take them from Egypt to the promised land. A land that he had promised them they were going to go move there. And that was going to be their new home. But they were going to first spend some time in the wilderness traveling along. Could you advance the side for me? Traveling along to the next place. When he organized them and counted them, he set up their camp with some very specific instructions. You look in Numbers chapter 1, 2, and 3, and you'll start to see this. He said, in the very center, I need you to put the tabernacle. And in the Old Testament with the nation of Israel, the tabernacle was the place where God himself dwelt. It's where he resided. It was the Holy of Holies. It was very respected. It was very important to this nation. And then God said, I want to arrange you to be arranged around the tabernacle in a very specific way. He organized things. And remember last week we said this organization is super important in every area of your life. If you want to get physically fit, you're going to want to know your numbers and organize it so that you have a better chance to succeed. Same thing with your finances. If you want to get financially fit, you got to know your numbers. you got to organize it so then you have a better chance to succeed. This is simply what God is demonstrating in numbers. He had an entire nation, his people, and they had a job to do, and he wanted them to do it right. And so he, he counted them, and he organized them. And how he organized them mattered. It's very intentional for us. He organized them around the tabernacle. In other words, God was the center. If you want to be physically, spiritually, and mentally fit in 2020, here is the key. God's place must be the center. He must be the center of our lives. But so often when things go awry, it's because God is not the center argue with me for a second mentally you go hey well no i mean the church thing is important and the god thing's important but what does god have to do with what i eat on thursday afternoon what does god have to do with how many credit cards i have what is what does god have to do with the argument that i'm having with in the, with the person in the cubicle next to me what does god have to do with raising my kids what does god have to do with the sport that i'm playing for fun or the video game that I turn on? What does God have to do with any of those things? Listen, if God is not at the center of all of those things, you're in trouble. Because that means you are. And who would you rather have at the center? You? Or the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving creator of the universe? God says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31, whether therefore you eat or drink, even the stuff that you put in your mouth on Thursday, or whatsoever you do, the credit card you have, the television show that you watch, the game that you play, do all for the glory of God. Do all for the glory of God. God's place is to be at the center of our lives. Now, you may be struggling with your health. You may be struggling with your finances. You may be struggling physically. Get God in the center. 
Get that move happening. Dedicate that to God. And renew the position and the organization of that area in your life. Is the, that's the key. So in the book of Numbers, as they traveled through, they, the, every time the Israelites took God out of the center, they got in trouble. And God had to remind them. And every time that that happened, there was consequences and, and things had to be fixed. And so the whole number is kind of this up and down with God being in the center and then being out of the center, being in the center and then being out of the center. And finally, the consequence was so great that an entire generation was, had to die off and were not allowed to enter the promised land. And so for 40 years, the Israelites wandered around in the wilderness before they were allowed to enter the promised land. And everybody, including Moses, was denied access. And Moses took tally of everything that happened in the book of Numbers. In the beginning of Deuteronomy, he sums it up with this verse. And Moses says, what's the point? What's the moral of the story? Why have we gone through all this? Here's what the point is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Do this, and you shall live. And I don't just mean breathe in and out. I mean live. You will live life the way it was meant to be lived. Jesus came to give you life, and to give you life more abundantly. You will live an amazing life when you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And so God is saying to you and me through the book of Numbers that we need to put our mind, our strength, our soul, and our heart centered around Christ so that he is everything in all of those areas. And tonight as we focus on our minds, I want you to turn to Numbers chapter 20. Numbers chapter 20. And as we jump into this, let me give you the truth that comes out of this passage. In Numbers chapter 20, we're going to see that mental fitness matters. Your mental state matters. A mind is a beautiful thing. Don't waste it. Your mental health matters. And here's why it matters. Where your mind goes, your body will follow. Where your mind goes, your body will follow. When you think it, then you do it. Your mind leads the body. Why should I be mentally fit? Because where your mind goes, your body follows. There's an incredible illustration of this in Numbers chapter 20. So I don't have the verses up on the screen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Numbers chapter 20 and follow along there or listen as I read. You can also follow along online. If you go to branchlife.church, you can look at the notes there in the follow along card. But in Numbers chapter 20, let me start reading. Let me get there. Nehemiah is not Numbers. Numbers chapter 20, starting in verse 1. <clears throat> and the people of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin, the specific section, in the first month. And the people then stayed in Kadesh. And Miriam died there and was buried there. Now, who's Miriam and why does she get a shout out? Why does her funeral get mentioned in one of the 66 books of the Bible? Miriam was Moses' sister. Who's Moses? Moses is the guy who wrote the book of Numbers. Moses is the guy who led the Israelites out of Egypt. Moses is the guy who was in charge of the two million people. Moses was God's guy. And Aaron and Miriam were Moses' brother and sister, and they helped him. Miriam was the little girl, if you know the story of Moses, who when Moses was born and he, she was given over, her mom put Moses in, a, in a, reed, a, a basket of reed and sent him floating down the Nile. And Miriam tracked all the way along. That, that's who this is. Miriam is responsible for saving Moses' life when he was a baby. And then she connected Moses with the princess and then got able Moses to be adopted. And then Moses became a prince of Egypt. And then he was used by God's people to lead him. This is Miriam. In Numbers chapter 20, verse 1, she passes away, and the entire nation mourns. Now in verse 2, now in this place, there was no water for the congregation. 
Well, uh uh-oh. And they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron, and the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished with our brothers and, and perished before the Lord. Why have you brought us the assembly of the Lord into the wilderness that we should die here, both we and our cattle? Moses, not only are we going to die, but my dog's going to die too. And that's got me really mad. Like they're real upset. You would be too if you found yourself in the middle of the wilderness without any water. And then they continued to gripe. And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It's no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates. Now I'm hungry. And there was no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, and they fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, and you and Aaron, your brother, and tell, tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock, and for them, and, and give drink to the congregation and to their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he had commanded him. Then in verse 10, Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels, shall we bring for you out of this rock, bring water out of this rock. And Moses lifted up his hand, and he struck the rock with his staff twice, and water came out abundantly. And the entire nation drank, and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land I have given them. These are the waters of Meribeth, where the people of Israel quarreled, and the Lord through them showed himself holy. This is this story of Moses striking the rock. Numbers chapter 20 After some incredible difficulties, Moses hits a rock and something incredible happens. Enough water comes out of the rock to feed, to to have two million people drink and all their cattle and yes, even their dogs. And this is an amazing story. Rocks don't usually just give up water for two million people. This is miraculous. This is unbelievable. This is God demonstrating his love and his protection and his care for his people. But in the midst of the story, Moses made a massive mistake. And the problem started in his mind. See, Moses was told not to hit the rock, but he was told to what? Speak to the rock. God wanted Moses to say, Water come out. God bring water out of this rock. And then miraculously God would do it. But instead Moses lost his cool. And he lost his temper. And he hit the rock. And God still allowed water to come out. Now why would he do such a thing? Because Moses' mind was under attack. Moses was under a significant amount of mental distress. Let me point out a couple things to you in Numbers chapter 20 and verses 1 through 3. Let's look at Moses' mind. First, grief. Moses' dear sister died. She had just, I mean, they had gotten there and they had gotten to this new place and all of a sudden Miriam dies. One of the closest people in the world to Moses passed away. And he found himself facing the reality of grief. We've all been there. We've all been in this moment where someone we love is all of a sudden taken from us and is gone. We have to travel through grief. A lot of times we can struggle in this season. That's why God calls it the valley of death. On top of that, Moses was under a significant amount of stress. There was no water for two million. How long can you go without water? He's responsible for this entire nation and there was no water. That's a big problem. You think you got stress, businessman. You think you've got some budget issues that are pressing. You think you've got stress in your marriage. 
got something really, really hard going on, and, and they're snoring extra loud nowadays, and you can't get any sleep, and, and you're just finding yourself getting stressed out. You think that upcoming test is going to be the end of you. And you studied all you want, and yeah, your grades, and you don't know what the next step is going to be. You think you've got it hard? Two million people didn't have water. And everyone's looking at Moses going, uh, where's my water? So he was stressed. He was hurt. What happened is the people moved against him. They tried to overthrow him. They gathered people and they said, you know what? This guy's not getting us water. We're going to vote him out. And we're going to put our own people in place and we're going to go to some spot that has lots of water where we can get extra figs and pomegranates. And so they started a, a, an online campaign, make pomegranates great again. And they start going around and they start getting Moses out of there. And, and these are people that Moses almost died for. These are people that Moses cares about. These are people that Moses prays for. He's given everything for. And they intentionally went against him because they got upset. And that hurts. That hurts. And when you face hurt, your mental health suffers and you've probably been hurt by someone you know and someone you care about and and most of the time they don't mean to hurt you and it's a it's unintentional but but sometimes they meant it sometimes someone comes after you and they they try to take you away from your business and they they try to separate your family and they try to get one up on you and they say things that they shouldn't say and they do things that they shouldn't do and you find yourself getting angrier and more hurt and more frustrated. And the third thing, the fourth thing that was going on in Moses' mind is, he, is this overwhelming frustration. You've spent all day on that dinner you got the table ready, you had the sides and the meat and, and the dessert and, and everyone's coming home from school and he's coming home from work and they walk in and the oldest one looks at it and goes, ew, I don't, I don't like that. And then he comes in and goes, oh, I forgot to tell you, I grabbed, lunch, I grabbed dinner with so-and-so on the way, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to eat tonight. And, and then the baby starts crying and knocks over the souffle and and all of a sudden, everything that you've done and your frustration inside of you is building. Why do we have to eat this anyway? And I don't want those vegetables. You're going to eat this food and you're going to like it because I spent all day. Frustration. Think about Moses' mindset. Sad. Stressed. Hurt. And frustrated. Grief, hurt, and stress can keep us from worship. What do you need in those moments where you are mentally under attack? What is the thing that should help and sustain you? What can cause your unhealthy mind to become healthy? How can you put your emotions and the facts and the figures and your experiences in order? Some people say, hey, feelings are feelings and I can't help it. Now, I understand that every husband and wife has this argument and the wife says it's how I feel and the husband says we'll stop feeling that way. And for every wife out there, you know that was exactly the wrong thing to say. And, and you're trying to make this point like, I can't control, so I understand that I'm a man saying this up here. But hear this. You have control over your feelings. You have control over your reactions. You have control. Your feelings shouldn't drive you. You should drive your feelings. What is the control center of my feelings? It is your mind. You have the ability to choose to be hurt or to be healed, to be frustrated or to be calm, to be angry or to be forgiving. You have that ability when God is at the center of your mind. And yes, sometimes your mind needs rest, and sometimes your mind needs encouragement, and sometimes your mind needs healing. So where do we get all of those things? It's not true that time heals all wounds. 
it is true that God does. And sometimes when you are in the most need of a connection with God, you cut God off. You become distracted. And I'm too worried or I'm too stressed or I'm too busy to participate in worship to renew my strength with my brothers and sisters in Christ, to have a quiet time with God, to go to Him in prayer. And we charge forward because we're sad or we're, we're hurt or we're stressed. And in that moment of stress, instead of spending time with God, you write that really angry email and you just get everything out on that email and you just hit send. And then you think you feel better, but you don't. Listen, if you're writing an angry email, go ahead and write it, read it, then delete it. And pray over it. What you need to do for your mental health in times of grief, hurt, and anguish is you need to worship. You need to worship. Worship God in the moment and gather together as soon as you can with your brothers and sisters in Christ and worship God corporately in your group and in your church. And don't allow anything to keep you from it because it is what you need for the sake of your mental health In Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, it says to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. God, here I am, all of me, my mind, my body, my soul, my spirit, my strength, my finances, my relationships. Here I am. I present it to you. I give it to you. I am present with you and for you, and I want to worship you. God, everything that I have, I lay it down for you because it just makes sense spiritually. Because everything I have and everything that I am comes from you. You have saved me. You have rescued me. You have created me. You are guiding me and leading me. So here I am, God, everything. All my grief, all my hurts, and all my pains. Do not then be conformed to this world Because they do it that way, that's the way I'm going to do it. Because everybody else is, I'm going to be. Do you know how they're going to treat me if I don't? And they're doing it that way, so I've got to stay ahead of them, so I'm going to. No, no, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Be different. How? By the renewing of your, what's the word, mind where your mind is your body will follow how do we renew our mind that by testing and discerning you may be able to know what God's will is his good and acceptable will how do we renew our minds so that we know what choices to make to deal with grief and pain and hurt and stress how do we renew our minds worship Offer your bodies a living sacrifice. It's our reasonable act of worship. God, I'm in pain. Here I am to worship you. God, I'm stressed. Here I am to worship you. God, I'm, I'm, I'm hurt. Here I am to worship you. I'm frustrated, God. Here I am to worship you. I'm busy. Here I am to worship you. I'm in debt, God. Here I am to worship you. I don't know what to do with my kids. Here I am to worship you. Why do we come to worship God? Because it's how we renew our minds. So we can be transformed. And we can do what it is God asks us to do. Some of you in here tonight are hurt. You've been hurt by someone you love. And you've got plans. You're going to do something you probably shouldn't do. And you know God says to do it differently, but you're going to do it. Why why would you even consider it? Because the battle's in your mind. Don't, don't be conformed to this world but be transformed and instead God say here I am and here's my hurt and here's this relationship and I God will follow whatever it is you want me to do not what I think my best plans are some of you guys are in here and and life has overwhelmed you don't know if you want to get out of bed the next day you can't find the strength to even make a decision let alone care for other people You find yourself just deep in despair. Where do I go when I find myself deep in despair? What do do I do about it? How can I ever get relief from it? Listen, renew your mind. God, here I am in all of my sadness and in all of my pain. And I, I, God, 
want to give it to you. I'm here to worship. Renew my mind. Walk with me through this valley. We don't mourn as other people mourn because we have a hope that comes from our heavenly Savior. Never, never let the pain of this world, the hurt of this world, the stress of this world, the busyness of this world distract you from worship. Now Moses' misstep happened because his mind was under attack. And Moses did a lot more than just hit a rock that he wasn't supposed to hit. And let me demonstrate this to you. Moses made four mistakes. and we, Another word for this is sin. Moses sinned in four ways. Number one, he disobeyed when he struck the rock. Jesus said to talk to it, and Moses just did it his way. He hit it. Listen, when your mind is not in the right place, you know God says one thing, but you're going to do the other thing. When your mind is, is not healthy, when God is not at the center, you almost don't care what God says. You think you're going to figure it out. And sometimes, yes, that's the grief talking and the pain talking and the hurt talking and the stress talking, but that stuff should never be talking. It should be God. And here Moses was, and he was told to, to talk to the rock, and Moses was in no mood to talk to the rock, so he hit that bad boy with everything that he had inside of him. And then Moses says to the people, hey, must we bring out the water? Like, it's my job? And all of a sudden, Moses started to take credit for what it is God was wanting to do in that moment. And Moses was saying, hey, it's, it's me first. I'm the one that's got to solve your water problem instead of depending on God to solve the problem. And when our minds are not healthy, we think we have to fix it. It's not enough to just go to God in prayer and listen to his leading. We've got to fix it. We've got to lay down the consequences. We've got to do it our way. When God says, no, I'm going to do it. You let me, you stop worrying about it and let me do it. Let me handle it. Trust me. I can give water to two million people. I can make it come out of a rock. I can take care of your problem. And God knows the number of hairs on your heads and he knows to take care of the sparrows and he closes the flower of the fields. Will not God take care of you, whatever it is? But so many times when our, our mind are unhealthy, we fall to pride and it becomes our way. Moses distrusted God. When God came down to Moses after he had struck the rock, the first thing he said to him was, Moses, you didn't believe me? Did you not believe me? And of course God could see Moses' heart. And of course God could see why he hit the rock. And of course God knew that in that moment, Moses thought he was the one that had to bring the water out by hitting the rock and not God by speaking to it. Moses didn't trust. He didn't trust. And so many of our mental health problems are based in a lack of trust for who God is. If I truly trusted him, then I can have calm and peace in his presence. And when our mental health is out of whack, we don't trust. And then there was a huge misrepresentation of the truth. You see, what God was doing is he was painting a picture for the rest of time about who Jesus Christ was. A few, a few verses earlier, in another section in Exodus, Moses was told to strike a rock. They were in the same predicament. And God said, strike the rock and the water is going to come out. And then this time, very intentionally, God brought them to this place on purpose where God knew they weren't going to have water. Do you think God didn't know you were going to be in this problem or have this stress or have this? God knows. God knew that they were going to be in trouble. God knew that he was going to have to bring out water. So God says, but this time, I want you to talk to the rock. And the reason why he wanted him to talk to the rock is he was demonstrating who Christ was. This is a typology. This is seeing Christ, Jesus, in the Old Testament. And Christ is called the rock. And Christ was going to be, in the first example, struck down. He was going to be struck down, and that's a picture of the cross. And Christ was struck and he was pierced and water did come out of his side. But in the continuation of the picture, God is saying to all of us that we don't, he's not, it's not someone we have to strike again. We can simply now trust God who died on our behalf to do what it is he said he would do and simply speak to him and he will provide. And if you are in need of salvation, this is the picture that's being painted by the rocks in the Old Testament. Trust in God for your salvation. 
who was struck down, who died on your behalf, but then he rose again from the dead and he is now offering you salvation. He's offering you life eternal. And all you have to do is put your faith and trust in him. You just have to speak it. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. And everyone who speaks to the rock and asks for the water of salvation will receive it. And when Moses struck the rock, he messed up the picture that God was trying to to show. And God was furious. Hey, I know a lot of times when we think about the rock, we think about this guy. I mean... I tried to get him to come next week for our physical fitness talk, and he was too busy. But this guy's strong. I mean, his arms are the size of me. But he's no rock compared to Christ. He's got nothing on Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5, For they drank from the spiritual rock that flowed. And that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, the Israelites, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it points back to this story in Numbers and says that God was demonstrating who Christ was through the rock. What can I have for my own mental health? Where can I strengthen myself mentally? What can I hang on to? What can I depend on? How can I be strong enough? How can I get through the next day? How can I make choices? Listen, you depend on the rock of Jesus. You make him the center of every thought and every action. And when Jesus is the center of your mind, you are mentally healthy So was the punishment too harsh? In Numbers chapter 20, verse 12, God comes down to Moses and he says, Moses, because you did not believe me, you will not be able to enter the promised land. Moses was not allowed to enter the promised land because he lost his temper and he hit a rock. And wouldn't you think, come on, God. I mean, look at the pressure he was under. Look at the stress that he was facing. His sister just died. Give him a break, man. And God said, no. Life is choices and choices have consequences. And this consequence is that Moses will not be able to see the promised land that he was guiding his people to. And so many times when we make a mistake, we often look at God and we go, Come on, man. Don't you know the stress I was under? I mean, I'm fighting for my life here. And that person did it on purpose. And of course I messed up. But man, give me a break. And God says, no, I've outlined very clearly what happens when we choose to sin. No matter if we choose it easily, with a lot of forethought, or we choose it on impulse because our minds were unhealthy, A choice is still a choice, and sin is still sin, and it's supposed to be avoided at all costs. And the sin that we do, even in the loss of our temper, has consequences. And Moses had to bring himself into what we call a sober-minded state. Moses was furious. He hit the rock, and then God came to visit him and said, Moses, you should have never done that. And Moses could have in that moment said, come on, God give me a break. But that's not what Moses did. Moses had a sober mind. And through the rest of Numbers, we see that Moses never complained once about his punishment. He never looked at God and held a fist up into his face and said, hey, you don't know what you're doing and this isn't fair and I didn't plan for it this way and you gave me a total different impression and I thought I was going to go in the... Nope. He just said, okay. I trust you, God. I'm going to lean on you, God. You're going to be my rock. He renewed his relationship with God. He became one and lockstep with who God is and what God wanted for the future. And we want to run towards God and be in lockstep with him. And then Moses continued to faithfully lead. Yeah, people were still mad. They got some water. They got over it. 
Yeah, there was more problems to come, and yeah, now he wasn't even going to go there. I would have just thrown in the towel and be like, shoot, if I can't go in the promised land, I don't care what happens. Not Moses. Moses says, hey, we're doing this thing, and I'm getting as many people there as God will allow to get there. And he led faithfully for the rest of his life, serving God with everything that he had in him. And then he was able to receive God's grace in complete abundance. What happened at the end of Moses' life is so special. I don't want you to miss it. And at the end of Deuteronomy, when it explains the death of Moses, they were getting ready to enter the promised land, and Joshua and Caleb were the only two of their generation left. And Moses went up onto the hill that overlooked the promised land. He wasn't allowed to enter. He wasn't allowed to go in. He knew that. And God took him up onto the, the hill, and he showed him the promised land. Listen, look at this picture. It's full of grace. And God showed Moses the land that the people would enter. And the Bible says that God said to Moses, this is the promised land. This is where you've brought your people. This is their future, and I will care for them. And in this intimate, beautiful moment with God, Moses then passed away. And he stepped into glory, literally having a conversation with God. Man, it's special. And because Moses responded with a sober mind, he was able to complete his mission and walk with God and be full of God's grace for the rest of his days. In 1 Peter chapter 1, 13, it says this, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you in the re revelation of Jesus Christ. God has something for you tomorrow this week, this month, this year, and in this lifetime. God has something for you that he wants you to do, so prepare your minds for that action. God has called us to strengthen our connection to Christ so that we can go and reach the world. Prepare your minds for that action, and don't let hurt, grief, and frustration distract you from it, but instead, be sober-minded and have your hope fully planted on Christ so nothing will stop you from the mission that God has for you. 2 Timothy 4.5 says, As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of evangelists, and fulfill your ministry. Bad things are going to happen to you guys. Relationships are going to fall apart. People are going to hurt you. People are going to die. But God says, listen, endure, and keep working to see people come to Christ. Don't stop reaching God. With every frustration, comes opportunity. With every struggle, comes chance. With every discouragement, comes hope. Endure the suffering of this world, it's guaranteed, and continue to do the work of the evangelist and do what it is God has for you. You need a sober mind in 2020, so hear this warning. Avoid anything that numbs your mind. Avoid anything that numbs your mind. And when you're hurt, when you're frustrated, when you're stressed, when you're busy, you will be tempted to run to something to take that pain away. Don't do it. If you want a healthy mind, you need to avoid the things that numb your mind. Be sober-minded. Don't look for relief in a bottle or a can. Don't take a pill or grab a cigarette. Don't overindulge in the food that you find around you. Don't get in front of a screen and just allow your mind to veg constantly. Don't dive into entertainment or even into a relationship that you know you shouldn't have because it makes you feel better. All of these things numb our mind and instead of allowing God to be at the center, they take the center. And we become the opposite of sober-minded. Listen, we treat alcohol pretty flippantly in our culture. Don't do it. Look through scripture. Understand the instruction that God gives you when it comes to alcohol. When it comes to distraction. When it comes to right relationships. When it comes to caring for your body, which is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And steer clear of those things that numb your mind. Why? 
so you can be prepared for action and sober-minded to do the work that God has for you to do, to live life and to live life more abundantly. Don't avoid it. Go after it. We don't have time to go over this next step. If you go to the next slide for me. Whoops. There are exercises that, that the Bible gives us for mental fitness. Six or seven of them. Tonight what I want you to hear is your mental fitness matters because where your mind goes, your body will follow. So tomorrow night, we're going to talk about six exercises that the Bible talks about for your mind so it can be healthier. So what do I do? I need to have a healthy mind. Jump onto Facebook and check it out tomorrow night at 9 o'clock or anytime thereafter. We'll just leave it up and you can see what some of these exercises are. But tonight, I simply want to travel through one exercise for the time that we have remaining. And it's the exercise of prayer. By peace, by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God. And the peace which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds. Tonight, there was something that you needed to hear. God had a message for you. And maybe specifically you. Tonight, I want to encourage you to spend some time praying over that thought. What is it that you needed to hear tonight? What is it that you need to dwell on and to pray about? Maybe it's something you need to confess. Maybe it's something that you need to request. Maybe it's something you need help with or counsel on. Maybe tonight you needed to hear that God loves you and he's offering you the free gift of salvation and you need to accept him as your savior. Whatever it may be, have that conversation with God tonight. We're going to allow the musicians to come out and they're going to play for about a minute or so. And while they're playing, I want to encourage you to grab the card that's on your chair and to go ahead and fill it out. And let us know maybe there's a phrase that you heard tonight or a verse or a sentence or an idea. Let us know what that phrase is. You don't even have to explain it. Maybe there's a prayer request on here that's on your heart and you want us to pray over that. We'd love to do that. Maybe tonight you decided to become a follower of Jesus and you pray for salvation. Let us know that you did that. Maybe the baptismal pool here reminded you you need to do that. Let us know. And we'd love to pray over all these things. So would you respond on your cards with what it is you needed to hear tonight? And then at the dismissal, after the song, we'll collect those cards. We're also going to have prayer team members available after the service. And I want to encourage you to take an extra step tonight towards a healthy mind by potentially praying with some, somebody over whatever it is you need to pray about. A grief, a hurt, a stress, a frustration. I know I need to pray with somebody. So I, after the service, I need one of the prayer team members. I'm going to stay up here and I'm going to pray with them. Because I need prayer. Because there's some stuff on my mind. I'm a little stressed this week. And maybe you do too. So as they're playing the last song, we're going to invite the prayer team members to come up, everyone who's available to pray. And even if you just want to spend some time praying by yourself after the service, we'll, we would encourage you to do just that. So let's take a moment and respond on our cards.